outside, Hopevale. Let's get to our feet today. The week after Easter, we are still celebrating all that God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, through His life and resurrection. Who breaks the power? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? Thank you. 
All right, we want to continue on. We just want to celebrate what Jesus has done for us because he has won. He has defeated the power of sin, the power of death, the power of the grave. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that today. All that he provides through his amazing grace, through his love. To all who are tired, to all who are the tired and the heavy laden, hope has come. To all who feel the weight of a broken spirit, hope has come. Lift up your eyes, lift up your head, the power of my sin is dead.
All right, we give him praise. It's a wonderful day to praise him for all that God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, how he has won, how he has conquered and defeated the power of sin, the power of death, the power of the grave. Welcome back after hopefully a happy Easter for all of you. We want to continue that celebration with those who are around us today. So why don't you grab the hands of a few people and welcome them in this place today. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. We're going to continue in our worship. Um, We get to praise God through singing, through song. We get to worship him through hearing the word, and this is our time when we worship him through our giving. Our ushers are going to come forward. I'll pray as we enter into this time together. God, you are so good, and your love endures forever, and uh, we praise you for all that you have provided, for the ways that you give us our daily bread. You give us the food we need to make it through the day. You love us. You care for us. Um, You tell us that uh, no matter what, we don't have to worry because uh, you watch over us. And when we can't see you, we look to you and we expect that uh, you will fulfill your promises, that you are good, that you are true. And we pray as, as we do that you would use these gifts to grow your kingdom, God. Use them to increase your name um, in this place and beyond because we want to see you and you alone lifted high. You are the one who is worthy of all of our praise. And we pray um, as we do that your kingdom would come and your will would be done um, here as in heaven. And God, um, we pray too that... uh, And and we are thankful for how you have provided your son, Jesus, especially uh, this day as we have um, made it past Easter, but we still celebrate, we still remember, we still love all that you are, and we thank you um, that even death could not hold you down. We love you. Amen. Washes over 
darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus rose with our freedom in
seats. We'll continue on. I don't know what better songs we could sing the Sunday after Easter to celebrate the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, before uh, we get to the message today, uh, Matt and I have some news that we want to share with you as a church family. Uh, So Matt... Hi, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. Um, So I uh, have been here almost four years now. Hard to believe uh, it's been that much time. I've had a wonderful time worshiping with you all. Thank you for letting me be a part of your weekly celebrations and uh, some worship nights and other things like that. Um, I was not looking for a change Um, But uh, as some of you know, I am from California, and uh, some of the, just a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, some of the people who were actually in my wedding uh, down there called me and and told me that uh, there was a church there that was looking for somebody, and um, they kind of twisted my arm into into throwing my hat in the ring and and putting my application uh, in. And uh, I will make a long story short, and the church has has offered me a position down there, um, which is uh, my parents are still there, my 90-year-old grandma is still there, uh, my my sister, and um, it's it's in a sense home uh, to me, hopefully that kind of makes sense. Um, So it's it's with a bittersweet heart that... uh, I'm, I'm saying that I've accepted the position there, um, and I will be uh, filling out the month of April, and then we'll be making our move back that direction. Um, yeah, so uh, it's, a, it's a lot. It's been fast. It's been fast for me. I understand that this is probably surprising uh, to most as well. Um, and, you know, when God... Uh, opens doors and, and does interesting things in your life, uh, you can fight it, you can choose to accept it, you can, uh, you can walk through it, and uh, so at this time, we're just, we're walking through this door, and uh, my wife and I have processed and prayed uh, through this quite a bit, um, and uh, again, I wanted to thank you all uh, for letting me worship with you, it's, it's been a wonderful season of ministry, I would hope and ask that uh, you would pray for me as I move into my next phase, my next stage of ministry, and I will be praying for you as uh, I know that God um, moves and changes things for his kingdom and for his glory, and uh, he will continue to bless Hope Vale and, and grow Hope Vale uh, through this experience, though I recognize that it's probably hard at this moment to envision that. Um, So, again, just thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of it, and uh, we'll have more time 
uh, to talk through some of those things as we go throughout the next several weeks. Wow. remember when uh, we were talking about you coming up here and Bethany, and, and at some point I said, you know, Matt, we're not looking for a music director, we're looking for a worship pastor, and you have been that for us. We have grown as a worshiping body, and boy, last Sunday was proof of that. Today has been proof of that, so thank you very much for that. As Matt said, uh, His last Sunday uh, with us is going to be April 24th. He'll be with us the next couple weeks as well, but we'll have a chance on that day to uh, say our farewells and goodbye. But as the congregation has expressed to you, we are grateful for your leadership, your heart, and your love for the Lord and how that has grown us as a church. So I want to pray uh, right now uh, in this moment. We'll be praying a lot for the Odegaards and for our church in the days and weeks to come. But just right now, let's pray together. And God, uh, you are Jesus, Son of God. You are worthy of our lives, our whole lives, to follow you wherever you lead. And sometimes we don't understand that. Sometimes, as Matt said, we're not looking for it. But when you call, we want to respond. Father, there have been times that I know I've talked about the difference between our little C local church and the big C church of Jesus Christ. And it's in this moment that we, with heavy hearts as a, as a little C church, um, are going to have to say farewell. But Lord, we know that our connection is not to Hope Val, it's ultimately to Jesus. And Jesus, you are the head of the big C church. And we want to do your work wherever and whenever you lead. And so it's with that that we bring our hearts and our prayers to you. For Matt and Bethany and their family, they have a lot in these next weeks to come, in the weeks to come. And so just minister to them, provide for them, care for them, encourage them every step of the way. And Lord, for our church, our future, we just give that to you. You are a faithful God who has, who does, and who will always provide. Lord, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do I really have to do that? I mean, oh, so I I don't know how you, you pivot out of something like that, but Maybe to start, and, and maybe before I get into the message, you know, let's just look back for a moment. Let's look back to last week, because it was such a blast sharing Easter with you, sharing Monday, Thursday with you. You know, I hate to compare years, because Easter's great every year, but I think this year was right there at the top, don't you? I mean, just phenomenal. Easter alone, we had over 3,000 people worshiping with us, not to mention another 180 children in Tottown. 
which is pretty incredible considering that Easter fell this year at the beginning of spring break. I want to thank those of you who purposefully chose to come at either 8 or 12.30. It opened things up for those middle two services and made a difference, so thank you for doing that. Also on Monday, Thursday, we had just under 1,000 people that are two services there, and that is the most that we've ever had. And I find that absolutely fascinating because we purposefully, okay, we purposefully don't promote that service outside the church. We don't know. We see it as a special time for our own church family to seriously and worshipfully reflect on the cross and what the cross means to us. So that kind of turnout says something about you, says something about our church and our desire to want to go deeper in our faith, and that's a good thing. Now, with both those days, I want to thank everyone, all the staff, all the volunteers who helped make it happen. It requires a lot of planning, a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, today as we move on from Easter, we're going to wrap up our series entitled The Last Days of Jesus. Now, in this series, we opened with the story of Jesus in the upper room washing the feet of his disciples as the Savior who serves After that, we read through the story of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, wrestling with the decision to go to the cross and then eventually submitting to the will of his Father as the Savior who suffers. And last week, with Easter, we saw him as the Savior who wins, defeating death in the grave through his victorious resurrection. So today then, as we finish up, we're going to look at the story of Jesus, one that happens in his days after the resurrection, as the Savior who lives. Now, the Bible tells us that there is this 40-day period of time from when Jesus rose from the dead until the time he literally, physically ascends into heaven, into the very presence of God, and his disciples are witnesses of this. It's recorded in Acts chapter 1. So you've got this 40-day period of time, 40 days when Jesus existing in his post-resurrection body here on earth interacts with other people along the way. Scripture tells us that there were at least 500 eyewitnesses who saw Jesus during this time. Now, the Bible doesn't give us every detail about those encounters, but it does record for us key moments that Jesus had with certain people, specifically the women and the men that he was closest to. And it's one of those stories that I want us to read through today because we're going to see another side of Jesus that I think is going to be very encouraging to regular, ordinary, and flawed everyday people like you and me. So I invite you to follow along with me in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. Today we're going to read through an extended portion of Scripture, beginning in verse 1. So the last chapter of John, John 21, beginning in verse 1. This is what John says. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Again, meaning that this is not then the first time that the disciples see Jesus after the resurrection. We read about that encounter last week. No, this is later on after that. So the disciples then have had some time to begin to process this miraculous event and all that it meant for them. John goes on to say, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee. Go back to the list. Not done yet. There's a couple more guys there. Feelings are going to be hurt if we leave them out. Can you go back, please? There we go. 
Nathanael from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So if you're doing the math, that's seven of the disciples, seven of the eleven. Remember, by this point, Judas has betrayed Jesus, so there are no longer twelve of them. Verse three, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, a couple things to note here. Peter, or Simon Peter as John calls him, was a vocational fisherman before he left that to follow Jesus. So fishing was his job. This is his career. Same is true with some of the other disciples. And the other thing to notice is that this isn't the first fishing at night story we read in the Gospels. Actually, it's not even the first fishing at night and failing story we read with the disciples. Now, interestingly enough, the first one also involves Peter and Jesus, and the final outcome eventually leads Peter to recognize that Jesus is more than just a man and that he's worthy of following. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were, able to, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Which again, it's a lot like the story I referenced earlier from Luke chapter 5, where they go from not catching anything at all all night to landing so many fish that they can't even haul the net back into the boat. Incredible. In verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, It is the Lord! And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. You know, this is vintage, classic, impulsive, ready-fire-aim Peter at his finest. This is the same Peter who just days earlier runs ahead of John to get to the tomb first once they hear that Jesus' body is no longer there. Verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish. You know, yeah, thanks, Peter, for leaving us the work, right? For they were about, you know, not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. 153, John says, to be exact. But even with so many, the net was not torn. You know, I love the numerical accuracy here. 153. And I think that's in there for no other reason other than to say that this really happened. It happened. There were 153 fish in that net, and they counted every single one of them. Now, by the way, I am not a fisherman by trade, okay? But I have watched shows like The Deadliest Catch, right? You know? And that's what these guys do. They count them, they weigh them, that's all part of the gig. Verse 12, and so Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Now this is the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So this is the third time the disciples see him. And we don't know how long it's been since the first and the second times, but we're now at the point where we have these multiple occurrences, right? To prove that this really is Jesus and that he really is alive. He is risen indeed. Now that right there is enough to encourage our faith. 
that we see Jesus is alive, the resurrection is real, which then means that the cross is enough to bring us into a relationship with God. It is finished, Jesus cried out as he was crucified, that the work needed to reconcile us back to our creator has been completed. Then with this story, we also see Jesus continue to perform the miraculous and to do so in such a way that it brings continuity to his life and ministry before the resurrection. It's as if everything is coming full circle for his disciples and for us. It's a great story, and I also love that we get to see this personal side of Jesus by this beachside campfire. You know, this is the same Jesus who first, when he saw the disciples, challenged them and said, come and follow me. Now he looks at them and says, come and have breakfast, which, you know, by the way, those words still work, right? You want to encourage my heart to say, come and have breakfast, and I'm yours, right? That's what Jesus says to him. Come and have breakfast. Where were we? Okay, here we are. Now, into verse 14, we're told that this is the third time that Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection. And yet, as we go on in John 21, we see that this isn't the end of the story. That after this miraculous catch, that after this fabulous breakfast, things get even more personal. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three questions, three responses, three commands. Now, there's a slight difference in the wording between them, but it's essentially all the same, isn't it? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. I mean, that's the heart of this interaction between Peter and Jesus. So what exactly is going on with Jesus here, right? Why all the questions? Why all the repetition? So much so that Peter is actually hurt by the third time around. Well, if you have some familiarity with the Bible and you've been around church for a while, you know that there is a story behind the story, don't you? But I also realize that might not be the case for everyone here. So before we talk further about this passage, let's pause for a moment and look back at another passage earlier on involving Peter and Jesus. Actually, two passages. The first passage is found in John chapter 13. That, by the way, is the very same chapter that we see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples in the upper room. After that, we read that Jesus told his disciples that one of them would betray him, and then shortly after that, Judas gets up and leaves. Well, by this point, things are emotional enough, but then Jesus goes on to tell the remaining 11 that he would be leaving them soon, and that where he was going, they could not come. Now, Jesus was referring to his impending suffering, his impending sacrifice, though the disciples did not know that at the time. Well, when you make a statement like, I'm going to be leaving you soon and you can't come where I'm going, it begs an obvious question, right? So guess which one of the remaining 11 disciples feels the freedom to speak of? Peter, right. So John 11, verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will 
follow later on. Now, most people, most people would have the common sense to take that answer from Jesus and stop right there. But Peter, he ain't most people, is he, right? No, like every good toddler, he follows up with the question, but why, right? But why? Verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Wow. (laughs) Wherever you're going, Peter said, I will lay down my life for you. I will. Haven't our last three years together meant anything to you? Sure, I've blown it a time or two before, but man, I'm in this thing with you. I am so much so that I am willing to die for you. Now that's going all in, isn't it? And who wouldn't, by the way, want to hear such loyalty and devotion from their followers? Unfortunately, though, Jesus knew better. Verse 38. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Awkward. Talk about throwing a wet blanket on the fires of enthusiasm. Peter, not only won't you lay down your life for me, but you're also going to do something even worse. You are going to disown me three times, not once, not twice, but three different times. You're going to disown me. You're going to deny me. You're going to pretend around other people that you've never even met me. And it's going to happen on three separate occasions. See, if it happens just once, you'd call it a slip-up. A misunderstanding. Twice, well, it's a coincidence. But three times, no, three times means there's no mistakes. Three separate denials will prove how strong or not strong your professed allegiance really is. Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And these are some of Jesus' very last words to Peter, just hours before the crucifixion. Now, a couple weeks ago, we saw that after this, Jesus invites Peter and James and John to pray near him in the Garden of Gethsemane. After that time of prayer then, Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. And as the authorities attempt to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out a sword to fight for Jesus. And he is so into it that he accidentally slices off the ear of a servant nearby. Jesus tells Peter to put the sword away. And then he heals the servant's ear. So, you know, if you ended the story here, it actually looks like Peter is right and Jesus is wrong, doesn't it? I will lay down my life for you, Peter says, and based on this, it really looks like he is a man of his word, willing to fight for Jesus. However, this isn't the end of the story. No, Jesus is arrested. The disciples flee from this scene. From there, there is this series of mockeries of justice to put Jesus on trial, to convict him, and to eventually sentence him to death by crucifixion. And as all this is playing out, curiosity gets the best of Peter. So instead of remaining in hiding, he makes his way back to the temple in Jerusalem to see what's going to happen with Jesus. Now, Peter wants to do all this incognito, right? hoping no one's going to notice him. But unfortunately for him, things don't go quite as planned. And so we pick things up later on in John chapter 18, verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? 
she asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold. The servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Now, after verse 18, John pauses this part of the story to tell us about Jesus being questioned by the high priest. But then after that, John picks it back up in verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, so they asked him, you aren't one of those, well, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. (sighs) Looks like Jesus was right after all, wasn't he? Three different times Peter has asked a question. And not just any question, but essentially the same question about him being one of Jesus' disciples. And each time, Peter gives the same answer, no, I am not. Matthew, in his gospel, as he tells the story, says, Peter was enraged by the third time he's asked the question and vigorously denies knowing Jesus. And so what happens in that moment when it's all said and done, just as Jesus predicted? Verse 27 a rooster began to crow. Now, John doesn't mention it here, but the other gospel writers say that after hearing the rooster crowing, Peter breaks down and weeps because he knows exactly what he has just done. You know, this is one of those stories we as Christians need to keep on revisiting because our familiarity with it can rob it of its intensity. And we're like, oh yeah, Peter messed up. He denied Jesus when he said he wouldn't. And then this rooster crowed, and we kind of ho-hum our way through it, right? But when you go back into it, when you re-enter all the emotions, all the drama like we've done today, you know, you're able to capture how devastating this moment must have been for Peter. I mean, absolutely crushing. I mean, he doesn't just mess up. No, he blows it big time. This is a colossal failure on the highest level. I mean, the denials are bad enough, but then you throw this cocky proclamation of martyrdom on top of that. I will die for you. I will lay down my life for you. Total humiliation. I don't know how you can ever recover from something like that. And even if you somehow do, you sure hope you never have to run into per- in that person again for the rest of your life, right? Now, what I'm about to say isn't in the Bible, so this isn't gospel truth. Do you ever wonder if there was a little part of Peter that was kind of relieved after Jesus was crucified? I know that sounds kind of morbid, but for Peter to know that he would never have to face Jesus again after letting him down like that, maybe that wasn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, think about your own life. Now, I don't think any of us have done anything on the scale of what Peter did to Jesus, but if you're at all human, chances are you've done something like that. I know I have. Maybe you've gossiped about someone behind their back and then got caught for it. Maybe you posted something hurtful on social media. Maybe you didn't keep your word with a person when you said you would. Some type of denial, some type of betrayal, some type of disrespect. And feeling-wise, the only thing worse than doing that to them and feeling bad about it is the fear of seeing them again and having to face up to what you've done. 
to some degree or another. I think we've all been there before, and it's just the worst, isn't it? And see, all this is the background to John 21 and this poignant moment at the beach when Jesus looks at Peter and asks him, do you love me? As we saw, John tells us that this is the third time the disciples see Jesus after the resurrection, but as far as we can tell from Scripture, this is the first time that Peter and Jesus have had a one-on-one, face-to-face conversation. So here's Peter on the one hand. He's overjoyed that Jesus is alive. But on the other hand, there's got to be this part of him that's been dreading this moment. Not that it's this totally expected. It's also totally deserved. Jesus, right? Jesus has every right to confront Peter about this. You know, if I'm Peter, the first question I would have expected Jesus to ask me is, how could you? How could you, Peter? How could you do that to me after all we've been through? How could you, Peter, after all I've done for you? How could you? I mean, that's the question of the moment that if we're Peter, we're expecting to be asked. But Jesus doesn't ask that. No, instead he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Right now, in this moment, not back when you denied me three times when you said you wouldn't. No, right now, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And then Jesus asks him the same thing again. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the second time, Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Peter has got to be thrilled at this point to know that the whole rooster incident seems behind them. But then Jesus comes back for a third time, he asks Peter again, do you love me? Now John notes that Peter is hurt that Jesus has asked him the same thing once again, but that doesn't seem to bog Peter down, and so he gives Jesus the same answer, but with a slightly different twist. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And while John doesn't record that a rooster crowed or a wave crashed, or a fish flopped, or anything like that, you get this sense that a light bulb goes off for Peter in that moment. Lord, you know all things. You know all things, so you're not really asking me this love question to find out my answer, because you know the answer. No, you're asking me because I need to hear it myself. I need to hear me say, I need to hear me utter the words and believe that even despite my selfish failures, I still love you, Lord. And the fact that you are asking me this question, the same question three times in a row, is my reminder that you still love me and that you have always loved me. And in that moment, forgiveness is assured, reconciliation is complete. It doesn't get any more powerful than that. See, forgiveness of our sins, reconciliation of a broken relationship with God. These are the themes of Good Friday and Easter. This is what Jesus came to do. And this is what Jesus came to do, not just conceptually or theoretically, but powerfully and personally, just like we see with Peter and Jesus. That the ugliness of Peter's denial has been covered by the blood of Jesus' sacrifice, and the same is true with us. for the very worst things that we've ever done to Jesus, for the very worst things that we've ever done to other people, and for the very worst things we've ever done to ourselves. 
for those things we cannot begin to imagine that could ever possibly be forgiven, his cross is enough. You know, as we sing in one of our worship songs here, where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Believe it, right? That's why in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul truthfully proclaims that if anyone is in Christ, he, she, is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is the celebration of Easter, and that's why we can only say, thank you, Lord. Now, forgiveness and reconciliation, those are more than enough to keep us going on and giving thanks to our God for the rest of our lives. And yet, as amazing as those gifts are, Jesus doesn't stop there. Because in addition to his three questions and in addition to Peter's three responses, Jesus ends each of those interactions with the same command, the same commission to Peter. He tells Peter, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And sure, the wording is slightly different, but the overall intent is the same. And this is where the grace of Jesus Christ becomes even more amazing. See, as wonderful as God's forgiveness is, there's a sense where we might think, okay, because of Jesus, God's no longer mad at me. Phew, what a relief. I'm glad that's taken care of. And so while we should be thankful for the peace that brings, there's still that part of us that feels like the relationship is now just at zero, right? Like, before Jesus, it was in the negative. I mean, really far in the negative, right? But because of him, our account with God is now zeroed out. It's done, it's finished, it's complete. Jesus paid it all, right? Now, while that is true, and while this incredible gift of God, an act of mercy from Jesus is ours, that's not how the story ends. It's not. It's not how it ends with Peter. It's not how it ends with us. See, it's one thing to say to a guilty person, I've dropped the charges, you're free to go. But it's a whole other thing to go on to say, oh yes, and by the way, I want you back. I want you back on my team, and I'm going to put you to work because I believe in you, and I've got great plans for you. I really do. This is what Jesus does to Peter when he looks at him and says, feed my sheep. And he does it three times. Three times to wash away the denials. Three times to put the past behind them. Three times to envision a new future where Jesus can still use Peter, where he can still use us despite whatever mess we've made of our lives before. This is what you need to know today as a Christian, that because of Jesus, you are not only forgiven, you are not only reconciled, but you are also restored and repurposed. That no matter your past, God has great plans for you. And you need to believe that today. You really do. See, this story proves that God is not a three strikes and you're out kind of God. He's not. And so even though if you might not think you're worthy and other people might even think you're trash, God is not done with you yet. No, he's just getting started. You see, the amazing grace of God doesn't just take us from the negative to the neutral. No, it takes us from worthless to worthwhile for his kingdom. This is the transformational power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how great is that? That is your reality as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, what does God have for you specifically? I'm not sure. But I know it's a unique calling, a unique assignment that he gives to every one of us. So the goal isn't to compare ourselves with someone else, right? No, the goal is to follow Jesus and to go wherever he leads us. And when we do, 
It'll be the most exciting, it'll be the most fulfilling journey you'll ever take in this life. I guarantee it. God is in the business of restoring and repurposing flawed failures just like us to use us for his glory. You know, even as I say that, I think of these pallet walls behind me, right? Now, you might not know this, but those walls didn't start off that way. Now, each plank of wood here first came off a pallet, just like the ones, you know, you see lying around behind Sam's or Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever, right? Common use, ordinary junk. But then some guys in the church here, they took those pallets and one by one they removed the planks and they repurposed them. Repurposed them (laughs) to construct some walls that would go into our church sanctuary and be placed up front to help create an environment so people can engage in worshiping our God. Do you get it? From the trash heap to the sanctuary. And that's not just the story of those planks. That's the story of our lives. See, Jesus not only forgives you, Jesus believes in you. He believes in you. He restores you. He repurposes you so that through you, others might be drawn to worship our God. And that right there is the greatest joy and the greatest honor we will ever know. No matter the past, no matter the failures, this is what Jesus wants to do with you. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are Son of God. Jesus, you are Savior of mankind. Jesus, you are the one who forgives. You are the one who reconciles. But you are also the one who takes the mess of our lives and restores and repurposes us to be used for your glory. God, I know that this sanctuary here is filled with stories of brokenness, of failure. And some people here might even think what they've done is far worse than what Peter did in his denials. And yet where our sin runs deep, your grace is more. And so, God, we will not believe the lies. Lord, we will not be condemned to the past. And just as the grave could not hold Jesus, so too our failures will not define who we are. Lord, restoration is hard work. It's hard for Peter to hear that. But God, (laughs) you're a God who not only forgives, but you believe. You believe in us. Thank you that for every single person in this room, there is the invitation to know Jesus and to follow Jesus. And Lord, wherever you lead us, we can trust, we can believe that you have great plans for us. This is our hope. This is our joy. This is our journey. And Lord, we will follow you all because our Savior lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. I 
It's not Easter. I think we can do this, right? He is risen! And that is true every single Sunday and every single day for the rest of your life. It has been great to worship together, and as you go from here, may the life and the love of Jesus lead you. God bless you.